0: Igu Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present, and emerging. Get down, get down, it's, Hour. it's Hour. Good morning everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Lil Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the timer (laughs) for me, Tom. Where's the watch? Anything said over the next 60
1: minutes will stand up in any court of law or dystopian environment you find yourself in.
0: These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, non-scriptable. So, let's (laughs) chat about Children (laughs) of Men. Released in the
1: UK on the 22nd of September 2006, Children of Men, also known by its alternative release title, Uncharted Five The Last of Us, is the story of Theo, a former activist who must escort the last pregnant woman on Earth to an evacuation site, avoiding extremists and the British government along the way. Directed by Alfonso Cuaran, the story was adapted from P.D. James's 1992 novel of the same time. What? Same name, <laughs> same name. <laughs> Wait, whatever. Uh, made on a budget of seventy-six million dollars, it was a commercial flop, earning only seventy million back. Clocking in with a runtime of one hour and forty-nine minutes, the film may just leave you wondering: Is Australia okay in this dystopia? I would say definitely not. Yeah, the alternative t- joke there was going to be: This the film may just leave you wondering: Is this what a second Trump term looks like? But I thought we're not getting political.
0: Is right. this what Brexit looks like? I don't know. That's true. Context
1: Context You got you and So you and Ben Have seen this movie before And you Kept saying to me Tom you gotta watch this movie And I said I'll watch it And then it got taken off Netflix I know And then there was literally No other way to find it Until I bought it on Blu-ray Blu-ray And And it was like One of the early release Blu-rays So it's very In your (laughs) face about How Blu-ray it is It's Welcome. Lots of to menus. Blu ray. And the Blu ray menu sounds just wild. I guess Blu ray came out ages ago now, but it felt dated at the time, I reckon. The
0: I'm not even particularly familiar with it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. They're just very heavy. It's just a bit too much going on. It's like menus back in the day when, same DVDs thing in like video peaking. games and stuff like that, at that era, it's like lots of menus. They're like, we can put a menu here. Look at all the things you can do while it's loading or while well, there's, there's a menu while you're playing the game. And yeah. it's just like, chill, you
1: know? Yes. Hub design is huge. Um, I think it became... Like minimalism came through after that, I guess. Retro logos. But what's that? You know, retro simple looking logos. Oh, retro logos. I thought you said low res. And I said, Nick, I'm watching Blu-ray for the high definition quality, not for the low res.
0: Yeah. Have you tried watching a DVD in a while? What? You can't watch is. It's unbearable. The <laughs> They're so low That's in quality. That's so funny. But we used to watch, you know copies copies of someone filming on a handheld in a cinema yes oh god um there's this
1: famous like reference in filmmaking where they're like everyone cares about sound so much you'll watch something with bad picture but you won't watch something with bad sound and that's sort of like it it is fairly true you reckon like if because we watched you know terrible recordings of movies sometimes and then you'd do it because the sound... As long as you could hear what was going on, you are fine. But as soon... Like, picture, you could handle a bit of
0: shitness. Right. I don't know. Because I think sound... I obviously look at it from a music perspective where it's like... People definitely put up with some bad sound stuff. And there's mm. definitely an era of music where we were transitioning from analog recording to digital recording where the quality is notably quite bad com- compared, compared to now. Yeah. Which is funny, I think.
1: Yeah. I guess it's just... I just remember distinct times in history where it felt like
0: we were there with digital technology and then you look back and we weren't, you know? I remember watching like kids' movies and being like, wow, the CG in this is so good. It couldn't possibly get any better (laughs) and then you watch it and you're like, wow. (laughs) But yeah, I guess the the ironic part of
1: digital is that it was always pursuing realism. So it wanted to look non-spectacular. So the stuff that's killing it today, like the Marvel stuff, is just blends in. So the whole point is you wouldn't know what pilot is CGI. Yeah, I guess so. But then there was CGI that drew attention to itself for so long. Like Avatar felt pretty important when we we're in the cinema seeing it. Yeah, and I watched Fellowship of the Ring recently in the four K scan and it held up pretty well. But there was occasional things that looked a little bit funny. But then you know, that'd be expected for a movie that's um, what, like fifteen more than that. Like 18 years old or whatever. Mm. 2003 or something like that?
0: 2001. 2001.
1: God, yeah, 20 years ago. And then also, um, it was good for like 90% of it. But then the 10% was like wide shots of them running mm. from far away. And it's just like not meant to be seen this big. So, yeah. they just like have no gravity sort of. Yeah. And the
0: aren't is good. But that was the only thing really like in the Harry Potters where Harry's on a broomstick in the air like
1: I love that part of it though like that part has actually aged well for me in the sense that I look forward to seeing the kind of silly CGI and then like the troll stuff as well like it's still like pretty good it obviously has all the principles of good animation yeah um, speaking of a movie that's not CGI Children of Men this (laughs) this has some crazy long take stuff see when you said I always get Alfonso Mixed up with our boy Inaratu because he also is a fan of the long take. It's like this movie walked so
0: Birdman could run. <laughs> I don't know. I like the thing is Birdman is like a one long, uh, like one long take sort of thing is the thing, and you're like everyone's like, wow, this movie is one take sort of thing. Mm. But this one is a little bit more relaxed on that, I think. I uh, and it, it's a different sort of way doing it where you go like you know 1917 or Birdman where it's like. The whole film was like that, and this is part of the experience. Whereas in this, the shots, I think the effect is more like a shot just keeps going. So it's not like you you go, like, oh, I'm in for a long take here. It's like the shot just keeps going and going and going and going. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, Because you know that there still are cuts, but you don't know when it's coming. So, like, sorry. But that's, like, what he does in his films, you know. Same with, like, Roma. I think Roma is a good example because it's, like, the cinematography is, like, Cinem- cinematic still, you know, and it's black and white. It's obviously about setting these nice scenes and then the, t- the are just, like, really long scenes in it as well mm-hmm. that you go, well, like, wow, this scene's been going for six minutes and, like, that's the effect of it versus you knowing from the start that you're in for a continuous shot, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of potentially distracting when it is, like, everything because you're looking for it. I think Burman does well because the, the one takeness of it all is sort of fantastical still like there's times where it's not sequentially one take
0: um, oh yeah exactly and it's that's more just like a feeling of the the film because you're right it's not meant to be they're creating the world of time. Mostly. it's like here's a world where you can go from the lead actor going to his dressing room to the and producer. it follows different people around it's not meant to be a point of and because like in yeah even in 1970 don't they have like a scene where you. Passes hours, something like it, that. So, yeah. like, you need to break it at some point narratively. You don't actually want it to be because well, straight hours. you can't have two hours of exciting stuff happening in life, really. But does that mean in 1970, that big hike they're going on is only a two-hour walk? Like, is that not that far of a distance uh, of travel? He gets in He gets in a car, stuff, yeah, I guess so. And,
1: yeah. yeah, I think the point is sort of that it's not, maybe it isn't that far because he's going through contested territory. Yeah, right. Yeah, so for my birthday this year I got given I need so many and children of men the long take movies. Just need bird ray bird <laughs> bird, bird <rage>. ray. <laughs> no, Bird Ray, the new high definition <laughs> viewing experience. <laughs> anyway. So Children of Men, that was that context. And it's
0: just like it's a well regarded movie. People seem to speak of it fondly. It just breaks my heart that this is a flop because I just don't see how this is a flop because I think you But can like show- you do as well, don't do you? Do you? Like I feel like you can show these pe- this movie to arty film people and they'll be like, wow, look at all this stuff. And then you could show... And like, you know, concepts about immigration and all this sort of political stuff. And then you can show it to someone who just wants to watch an action movie and the action scenes are like mind-blowing. I just think it's ahead of its time. Mm.
1: Like, this was 2007... uh, 2006, sorry. And it's just... Like, these themes are things that are more addressed now. Think about... Topics. Yeah. It's sort of hard to reflect on because we were younger but it did seem like people weren't as stressed about this stuff obviously there were people fighting the good fight but like 2006 like two two years ago is the Iraq war and stuff like that you can't tell me that
0: Sympathy yeah, towards right. Well, refugees. nationalist ideology was pretty peak at that point in time.
1: Well, it's weird because we obviously I mean, now, now... Yeah, but, but <laughs> it also exists. It's more... Dyn- opposition. It's more, yeah, yeah, contrasty. It's more just like... Because these are discourses that... Like, imagine if this film came out today. I imagine that it would genuinely make more than it made then. Yeah. Because people would talk about it and people would be like, this is an important movie that you need to see. There
0: were platforms for people to celebrate it more than there are now. Yeah. Uh, there were then. What's really cool about this film is that all that stuff is super present and relevant, mm. but the way that it's shot makes it feel like, you know, like it feels like context, but not like context that's like forced down your, your throat, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and it's obviously exactly what they were going for, where they wanted it to mm. feel real, and that's why they do all those long takes and that whole kind of first person sort of vibe to it. But it's a really smart way of doing it, and it does feel really scary. I think for that reason, you know. Yeah, um, with how you were saying, I think I think you
1: nailed it. That the the key long take thing isn't that you're you know is that you don't know when the take's going to end. You don't know when the scene's going to wrap up, basically, and that functions narratively as well. So it's basically like when because even in the scene, the like the one of the two scenes, the the car scene where they get ambushed. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I genuinely didn't see that coming. Of course, uh, maybe I could have seen it like end in with something going on, but I didn't see it like people dying, people getting out of the car, stuff like that. I didn't think it would get that complex.
0: Yeah, I have to say that probably one of the best decisions is oh, the biggest move. Okay, so this film sets up the stakes really quickly as really being high. Um, well, you've got that big explosion at the start, which is. Cool, And you're like, wow, this is a bit intense because that feels quite intense. And like, I was knew that explosion was coming and I was like kind of a bit on edge waiting for it to happen. Cause like couldn't the there's not beats for it to happen. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the other part is obviously killing off Julianne more like very early, yeah. which is I, they have to obviously, well, they have to, but uh, like it it's functions narratively, but they didn't the- have to make her like, it's like, they do such a good job of like selling, but uh, she's been it the whole time, yeah, as well. and selling chemistry between them and stuff like that. Yeah, you know what I mean, and then just killing off straight away. It's, it's 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 crazy, yeah, very unconventional. Because what they have to do is that they've got to get you to believe that that Key would believe in Theo, mm. right? So they've got to get you to believe in their relationship because she believes in Julianne Moore. Yeah, and they do all of this like very quickly, and they pull it off. Yeah, it's just breaking Hollywood convention,
1: but the whole. Having a big build actor and killing them off. Works every single time. Name one time where it doesn't work. Yeah, Yeah. it's good. And then Michael Caine dies shortly after as well. Michael Caine, I think you could see come in. Yeah. I I feel like his death was drawn out as well, to be honest. I thought he was... Like, I don't really understand why they keep him alive. Like, why does he feed his wife the suicide drugs and not take them himself? He's stolen. I suppose so. But it just means he's going to suffer more, you know? Anyway, Michael Caine has got life figured out in this world, old Jasper. Um, he's got the good tunes, he's got old age. Is there, is there a world where you can come to terms with infertility and a shit world and you could
0: relax and enjoy yourself? Well, the point is, I think, that in a world like children represent hope, right? And without children, there's no reason to be hold yourself to good virtue and stuff like that anymore because it's like, for what? We're not preserving anything anymore. There's no mm. future to set the standard for or no yeah. future to strive towards, you know. So, on the one hand, yes, but on the other hand, you can see how that would go very badly. Mm-hmm. How bad do you think day-to-day life is in this world? Pretty terrible. Well, you've got to think
1: that everywhere else has collapsed except for England. Clive Owen's still in the office punching papers. He's doing okay. How many people... How many people... So, everywhere in the world shut down except for England? Well, that's what the propaganda would have you believe, at least. Yeah. Mm, good point. So, back to my intro. Australia. Maybe Australia's okay. Maybe this is the film that... May, okay, hear me out, ready? So, the year is 2025. Australia votes on a referendum to get out of the Commonwealth. Right. England collapses. We they did. they lose all morale. Because <laughs> of Australia. Yeah, right. they, they form... Well, first they have Australia, well, first they have Megan and Harry leaving, and then they've and got Australia, Australia leaving. So they they launch a political propaganda campaign to convince everyone that the world's ending and there's no children, and to promote nationalistic ideals. So this movie is like M Night Shyamalan, where everywhere else in the ro- the world is fine, but it's just this country that's cooked, and it's like propaganda. Hear me out. It has to be, but the propaganda. Narrative is like and really real. It's a well. technique developed by British cinematographers to get to cut their teeth on real interesting sets And because uh, British film in this world isn't very good at the moment, so they need to relaunch British film.
0: So they uh, allow for one takes and severe conditions to thrive. I don't understand where this has gone. Are we talking about this being the real world and this film was shot in the real post-apocalyptic world yeah. and telling the same story? It's a documentary. <laughs> Yeah I'm just looking at your computer And you've got the Oscars there So I'm quite interested to talk about that
1: Yeah, this is Best Cinematography They were nominated for Best Cinematography And Pan's Labyrinth 1 And Pan's Labyrinth 1 um, Pretty good year Prestige, The Illusionist, Black Dahlia Not familiar with that one The Prestige and The Illusionist are the same movie, aren't they? I genuinely thought that, honestly <laughs> uh, One of them's Nolan The other one too. I don't know to be honest, you could have it's got Edward Norton, in it, I think. You genuinely could have told me that was the movie, and I would have believed you. Anyway, Pan's Labyrinth. What's Black movie. Dahlia? I haven't seen that. Not familiar with it. It's um, a foreign film, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So, or cast Charlie Hunnam. That's the guy from Sons of Anarchy, and I think he's the dude with the long yellow braids. Ah. Uh, in think- In twenty twenty seven, everyone's into long braided hair as well. Oh, yeah. not braided hair, cornrows. Dread- oh, what do you dreadlocks. call it? dreadlocks? Yeah. What's um? So that was all it was nominated for. It got nominated for two other things as well. Including Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. Um, it didn't win any of those. It was also known if, it got best cinematography at the BAFTAs and best production design. Production design's a good point actually. This film has obviously great production design. The world building is probably one of the best parts of watching this film. Like whether you like the story or the progression or not, it's it's just really great being immersed in a world that's so Curated, right?
0: I like, yeah. The thing is, it's this thing where it's not too far away from reality, but like far enough away, where it gets to like kind of walk this good middle ground. I think, Mm. like, it's not set in a future that doesn't look anything like our world, but it's Mm. like also not. It's just like grunging up this world a bunch, like the train. It it, it grunges up. Is he on
1: a train train or on a bus? On the bus. Yeah, he's on a bus. Um, And like they've graffitied walls And like you could actually do that And then they've just put Thrown in uh, heaps of extras You know Mm. Like that's not that convoluted to do But
0: just that in combination With the grade And like the And and just the way it's shot And from his perspective Where you only need to show It it just shows it in a way Where you feel like You know How it's oppressive And you know That you feel it weighing down On you sort of thing As a person Mm. As opposed to like Having to show more than that And maybe It feeling Like a set Done up, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think that because part of the world building is people actually as well. It's all the extras and the way that all that's done, I think. Well, one weird funny take I
1: had was that before we got to the refugee camp, I was like convinced it was a a small budget film because I didn't know that it was expensive. And I thought, because when you think about it, at the start, they're in the city, there's an explosion, you know, people can be pretty savvy with their budgets. Then they get out into the country and they're hanging out at like farmhouse. They're driving along country roads. They're at, on the bus and stuff. It, it's all stuff that I thought could have been downplayed. And then you get into the refugee camp and it's just insanely large scale. Yeah, they, There's thousands of extras in this area. I'm like, maybe they got a good deal. And then they start blowing up everything inside. It's like, okay, maybe they do need $76 million to make this. Mm, yeah. Do you think, do you think, I guess this is a narrative part as well, but do you think it had to be this big, this $76 million film? I think it's the perfect size. Yeah? Do you think it could be smaller? Well, yeah, I do wonder if it could be smaller. Because I find that last scene, whilst incredibly engaging, it's sort of a little teetering towards spectacle rather than uh, content to me a little bit. It gets to this... This is like, take, so, and you're, you're shook, I can tell. So they get into the refugee camp, and I, I really like entering the refugee camp. Um, I think it's powerful, and I think it's important for the actual themes of the story to highlight how terrible these places are and how savage countries and governments are towards individuals, right? Like the British dude who gets on the bus, I think he has a really good part where he's just like being a shithead. But yeah, so then we end up in this room where she delivers her baby... Um, and then we come down with that dude. What's that guy's name? Sid. Sid. Um don't have Sid credited here on my list. Um Yeah, Sid and then leads them back down, and then that leads into the long ass scene where they're trying to run away mm. and they interact with the uh the fishes. The fishers, and then they have the shootout with the police and stuff like that. Obviously it's it becomes this ultimate shot, but narratively it does lose a little bit of Focus. It's sort of there just to
0: create tension and to create this moment of survival. Yeah, but it's like, I don't, like maybe, but also on the other hand, it is an action film. So it's like, there's your action scene and it's, it's, it's messy. I, I mean, I guess that's what you're saying, but then ultimately um, Clive Owen needs to get shot and you need to have that scene where she's holding the baby and walking down the stairs and everyone stops. Like that, you, those are narrative functions of that scene. And it's like, yeah, if you pad it out a bit more, sure, but it's not like it's. I wonder how long the book is because the story's kind of short, is what I'm getting at. I think it's quite different. Yeah. Well, not, yeah, signif- uh, substantially enough different.
1: Yeah. So the author has said that he likes the film, but I didn't get a grasp on how accurate it is to the original interpretation. Yeah, I don't know. It, I just, I probably would have wound back the, the scope a little bit and. I guess the situations are all sort of a type of danger. They're less political danger than I would have expected a little bit. Less like dialogue and interaction
0: danger. I don't know. I just think that you've got... Yeah, but this movie is exactly... It's doing two things. Like you're saying you kind of want it to be more of the political film. And it's like, I don't think it necessarily has to be because it's... uh, But that's not what I think it's going for ultimately, I would say. What do you think? You think it's going for, like, spectacle intensity, immersion? I think it's about immersion above all, you know what I mean? And it's not about the people talking about the situation that's going on. It's going, accept this is reality and then we'll tell this story of hope or whatever, you know what I mean? I can openly say that this is, like, one of the most tense I've been in a
1: film, sort of. Like, I genuinely didn't have a a sense of where it was going. Yeah.
0: Um, And as... I think, I think the length is a good part of this film is that it's not too long. Mm. Um, And in terms of like traditional film structures and flows, it feels like you're not that far into it. And then it ends, which, you know, might sound like I'm critiquing it, which I think is actually a strength of it. Do you know what I mean? Because it kind of is over before you have a chance to like necessarily land into a groove or something like that. Yeah. Um, And then it makes you go like, wow, that was, that was nuts, you know? Mm. So I think that's a big plus of it. And I remember feeling that, I felt that way watching it this time and also the first time I watched it where it was like, there's 20 minutes left or something and you feel like you're kind of gearing up for a second act or, you know, second or third act or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It sets itself up like it's going to be like a big road movie or something like that. That's true. But then it doesn't go there, which I think is good.
1: Yes. I think it, yeah, you'd want your audience wanting more or like not wanting more, but just not having drawn it out too much. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about The Fishers? The, in what way um I think that they they annoy me a little bit as a a crew of baddies they are quite they're just a little bit unbelievable for me which part the extremism the the fact their type of terrorist attacks their leadership sort of like that guy leading the group everyone's sort of a bit Blindly loyal to him Without being really Super loyal to him It kind of surprised me But he's not But Julianne Moore Was the leader So they've collapsed a bit And that's what we're seeing Yeah And then I I don't love how Like I know that Narratively We want them to arrive In the The Refugee camp But it Is a little bit confusing To me That they get into The refugee camp For the Uprising But they don't know That the uprising Is going to happen
0: yeah. So, how do they... They want to get... So, what's happening is that everyone who's in the fishes knows the plan, right? Yes. Of trying to get to the human project, right? And so, there's... You might have missed this bit of exposition.
1: Cause, yeah. Well, because that was the other thing about this film. And this isn't a criticism. But, like, there were times where I genuinely just didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if it was accents or just, like, the pace it was moving at. But it did... I did get a little confused. And So,
0: um, Julianne Moore is the head of the fishes. Course. And then she wants to give key to the human project, and they don't want to give it to the British government because one, they have an entirely anti-refugee sentiment, and they're going to still obey. Ba- they think they'll still obey or like and give it to hide a it under or something like that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So there's that because um, they're literally you know killing refugees, right? And then so Julianne Moore dies, and we find that it's set up by the Fishers because they want to hold on to the baby as a political tool. Yeah. So they want their rebellion to have the baby on their side as a symbol. Yes. What is the rebellion? So the rebellion's about... They're just anti-government. Yeah. I suppose
1: that's a little bit where my... Uh, That's another little bit of a hurdle for me. Because the government's, of course, extremely nationalistic. And I understand that you would have protests against a government that is anti-refugees and stuff. But the stances are, are like quite so hardline that they're a little bit who the fishes. And the government, like because the only government we see is the police. I wouldn't have minded seeing a politician making a speech or something like that maybe.
0: Maybe it's too much. I'm asking. I don't know. It's different. Like, yeah, you are saying you want the political. The poli- maybe the book is more political, which I would assume is maybe is probably a thing. You have to but I think be it's right? just te- this film's just telling a different story. It's telling I mean? Two individuals caught up in this. And you know, I I really like the, the the road this takes. It's about people as opposed to the politics of it. You know what I mean? Do you think people are that bad though? I saw Sid and I felt a little bit like I don't know how I feel about
1: Sid. And to be fair, I really, really. I really respect this film. But I I don't know, I just have more questions than I realise once we start talking about it a little bit. So
0: Sid Do I think the government would end up like that? Yeah, and and Sid. Like But l- think about talk- where Sid works. Sid works at a refugee camp and they literally you know, beating people all the beat time. Beat people, treat these people like subhuman, like, so a person who works there is supposed to, and Sid is a, someone who has a, you know, moderately reasonable moral compass, at least, do you know what I mean? Because he helps. He m- comes back to help them without knowing she has a baby, you know? Yes. So, The I Sid heel turn happens extremely quickly, is maybe my beef there. Well, I think that the Sid heel. my impression, Sid is an unreli- uh, untrustworthy dude from the get go. So I don't necessarily well because Sid that. pulling that prank on him is suspicious
1: at the start. But then Sid helps him get out. But then Sid's just like, it just goes from like, let's move to I've got a gun to your head, let's move. And it's sort of, I see how he can be rushing them along. But the uprising happens to be going on at the same time. That I think Sid would help them get out rather than say he's master plan straight away, I'd like to see maybe the Sid involvement go like a little bit longer and then he wants them to make one decision and they don't want to make that decision. Because Sid's, Sid's point at that scene is like, let's get out of here. And then he's also like, I'm going to steal your baby. And he lays these cards on the table just a little bit quickly where it's like, surely he's like, let's go. And then they get to like a quiet part and he's like, okay, give me your baby. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: I don't know. I didn't get this nitpicking to be honest. I
1: just found I just couldn't help but feel like Sid was a decent dude, and then he just like becomes completely
0: indecent in two seconds. But I don't think he's a decent dude. I think that this world that they live in is about give and take. It's like you do stuff for people if you can get something back. You know what I mean? Okay. So he has his own agenda, and that's why he acts like that. What I do
1: like is in that big refugee camp shootout scene is everybody like. Stopping at the baby, of course, very powerful. Um, and then how quickly they get back to fighting straight after that. I'm sure that's a very deliberate decision. Mm-hmm. That they all pause for this baby and then the refugees, uh, not the refugees, the, um, the fishers use it as an opportunity to shoot back. And then the cops immediately turn around and start shooting straight away. Yes, good visuals, good symbolism. I, I'm comp- the other th- thing I didn't love, let, let's just keep going through the I didn't realise I had a list, honestly. I promise you. Is when they this is weird. So we talk about how we wanna disagree on the pod because we think it will make a better pod. And then <laughs> and it, it happens tense. and it's just <laughs> really awkward. Um when they get to the roof and they've got um our boy Luke on the ground and he's like yelling at them halfway across the room. I found that pretty weird. I don't know what like they're talking Key about. and Theo are uh, having this discussion with Luke and Luke's like pointing his gun at them, right? Who's From- Luke? Luke's the leader of the fishes, the oh, evil okay. leader. Yeah, okay. And he's slumped against the wall, shooting out <laughs> with cops every now and then. Right. And then he's like, hey, you don't you guys leave? And they're like standing opposite sides of the room and it's just a little bit like weirdly low drama that they're standing across the room for me. And then they're just, like, pointing their guns out and shooting every now and then. I literally don't know what you're talking about.
0: What's wrong with that scene?
1: It just seems like... It just doesn't make sense to me in terms of the beats of the fight. Like, there's this army outside with tanks and shit, and they're shooting rockets into the building, and yet there's enough, like, breath in the room that they can, like, pause, have a bit of a discussion, cop a few stray bullets, shoot a few back, have a bit more of a discussion. Like, it just... That bit went kind of too long for me. And but two seconds later, he gets blown up when they run out of the scene. It just felt like a, an extended scene where there was like this strange tension from across the room. But then I like when they go past and then there's all the people wanting to touch the baby and stuff like that. And then when they see the first cop, the cop's like, whoa, guys, listen to me. stop." Damn. What else you got? Edgy pod. Uh, I've got some interviews with Quaron. So he was working on Children of Men or developing Children of Men whilst working on Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So he was work. He, in case the audience isn't aware, he is the director of Harry Potter Three: Prisoner of Azkaban, also known as the movie you didn't like as a kid, but then maybe aged the best as you got older because it's it's spooky and artsy. He said that at the start, it so like he was inspired by working in London and that they were in like he was commuting through grimy parts of london and feeling a bit i suppose inspired by that to write a dystopian future um and then he said that like once harry potter gets rolling you actually have a lot of time to do stuff so i guess it's just showing up on set and then he was reading stuff that was inspiring children of men on the, at the meantime mm-hmm. pretty interesting just because um like you'd imagine that being in the harry potter world you'd be either fairly relaxed or fairly you know what I mean? You'd be fairly like jovial, but I guess it is the dark Harry Potter. I wonder if um, what's his name, Chris Columbus was showing up to the the Gringotts set and researching refugees and um the trials of. I the think they go to Gringotts in the
0: third one. Surely not.
1: No, Chris Columbus in the first one. Oh, when man. everyone's still having fun, was he off researching heavy stuff? He was getting ready for pixels. <laughs> he's like playing a lot of Pac-Man and diving into the Adam Sandler <laughs> filmography. Um, yes, yeah, so another... I like this one. It's that He was uh, he was asked about the, the car scene and how he wanted to shoot it. And he speaks to his cinematographer and he's like, we want to do this. And he's like, I don't know if we can do it. And he goes, fine, I'll do it in green screen. I know how we can do it. It's all good. And then Chivo... Which is the nickname for the cinematographer is like, okay, we'll do it. So he had to, he was inspired by the the idea of hating green screen and not wanting to do it the green screen way, mm-hmm. which is actually the same way that this podcast was made when I said, Nick, I don't know, I got nothing here. There's a good joke in here
0: somewhere, but I can't find it. Your jokes aren't really that good today. Oof. Earlier, no, before the pod, you, Tom told me a joke he'd been thinking of all night, and it was landed all with night. a thud. I haven't slept in
1: days. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the, okay, yeah, this one is the most important, and it will lead us into talking about the famous bike scene. So, the famous bike scene, of course, would you say that's the the famous shot, or would you say the last one is? You mean the car, you say the bike
0: scene is the car scene? Yeah,
1: the, the ambush scene.
0: <laughs> you just changed the name of the scene well, between the, points.
1: The bike scene, the car scene, the, the car ambush scene. It should be the ambush scene, okay. essentially. The ambush scene?
0: Yeah. Is that the iconic scene? Yeah. Um, I think in my memory, I remember the end scene, to be honest, a bit more because it's got, not only is it like a big action sequence, but it has the scene of the stairs and stuff, which is quite powerful, I would say. So, I think it resonates on two levels. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Quran said that he was going to have blood
1: splatter the camera when Julianne Moore gets shot. And so that does happen. I noticed that on this watch that she gets shot in the head and then there's blood, but then they whip to the back and it's gone. Mm-hmm. What I did notice watching the film, was that um, the scene that leads up into the the final scene?
0: There is blood on the camera.
1: There's blood yeah. on the camera, and it stays the whole time because it's real. Like mm-hmm. it, the the squib actually sprayed blood, mm-hmm. fake blood, onto the camera.
0: Yeah, it's until I was because I noticed that obviously, and then I was waiting to see when it leaves. So it kind of there's like said, three or four drops on it, right? And we mentioned outside, it as it happened. They're outside the building, and then they go in the building. It's in the bus. It's like he's hanging out. He's there's a hollowed out bus. Oh, sorry.
1: that's when they first engage in their foot. That's where they first come across
0: gunfire, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going. Anyway, like, so it's on there for quite a while. And then when they get into the building and head up the stairs, that's when it's wiped. But it looks like... Because I was paying attention to it. Like, they get rid of a couple of drops at a time. It was interesting because I was wondering how they did it. The transition was always going to be awkward, right? But it was very smooth, though. It was quite
1: smooth. Because, like... I mean, like, if you were being analytical about it, of course you're going to notice it. So, I wonder if they added some back because they absolutely would have had a cutting point. Oh, you got... That's a good point. And they had to go, we need to cut it. And you're obviously not going to capture footage with blood. You would capture... Like, it's so easy to add fake blood that it's like, Mm. why would you shoot with
0: it? Yeah. So, obviously, it happens normally. And then at some point, they probably cut to a new scene and they have it edited on. Yeah. And then they get rid of it progressively, so it's not as jarring.
1: Because the Julianne Moore one's a little interesting because it just whips and then it's gone. But it happens so quickly because it's only there for like a few seconds. Mm And then... Anyway, so then just the behind the scenes of that shooting that scene was that they had 14 days to do the the big uh, battle sequence in the refugee camp. And apparently by day 12, they still hadn't rolled the cameras yet, mm. which is crazy because I guess they're just rehearsing it, rehearsing it, rehearsing it. So it takes five hours to reset the whole shot, including getting the people back in place, the screams, the explosions, all that stuff. And then they arrive at the bus and the camera goes in and blood splatters the lens. And then Karon from off screen yells, Cut But no one hears him Because the explosions From all of the The props And the buildings Are happening And he like freaks out And he's like I gotta see what happens now And it plays out And then he goes up to His good mate Chivo The cinematographer And goes We need to get rid of that And there was blood And he's like What are you talking about That is exactly what We were gonna do We wanted to add fake blood For Julianne Moore as if we're gonna Take this away Yeah So a similar shot Is gonna occur on Love Cut
0: (laughs) This weekend (laughs) Walk. You should do it like the blood when she gets spoilers, I guess. When she gets <laughs> stabbed. There's a blood spray on the camera and it's just there for the rest of the short film. That's yeah, yeah. really annoying. Amazing. <laughs> Even when you cut.
1: I'll experiment with that.
0: So there's obviously a thing and referencing your joke at the start that this feels like a video game. Yes. Um and one of the really good video gamey scenes is when they Clive Owen overhears their plan and is like, we need to get that out of here. That is absolutely... So then they escape from the house.
1: Because even the pose that he's doing, like leaning against a wall, like poking his head to look around a corner, because that's a look that you never do in real life because it doesn't make sense. Poking your head to the left, I, like whilst being at a wall, doesn't help you, don't you go hear back anything. To
0: the, you don't go back to the wall is what you're saying. You'd be the other way around. Yes,
1: maybe. or you'd, be, you'd have your head poking around the corner or just like leaning against a wall rather than cuz it it it's a, anyway yeah it's a video game thing because they need to go we're looking around the corner so the character will point his head towards
0: So them. that happens uh the, he goes upstairs like we need to get out of here and they sneak out of the house in the stealth thing and then there's this really cool things where he's like taking the keys out of the car yeah pulling the thing out of the engine at the front and like trying to get it to like that's so video game. It's like sick. Yes, that's a really great scene. And like you know, we I'm glad you the, brought that up. We talk about the big, the other two being the big ones, but that's like really. That's probably my favorite scene. Yeah. actually,
1: because okay. that is so tense. And starting the car is mm. such a cool thing. And even the fact that everyone else is chasing them on foot is just aesthetic as heck and a great level of tension. I, and just everything culminate, like that scene's so good because the stakes are so good that they're like, we can't shoot him. Mm-hmm. And then even when the guy's got his gun to his head, he's like, can I shoot him? Can yeah. I shoot him?
0: I love that. So good. Yeah, And the when they shoot it as well, it's like the sunrise rising. I don't know if they just nailed that, right? They would have been waking up at a specific time. But you do it once and then you're like, fuck, that's it for the day. Yeah. They would have had two takes if that. Yeah. So, you know, it's like dawn breaking. And then the sun's rising, and by the time they're at the bottom of the hill, like mm-hmm. the sun has kind of come up, and you can see the scene. It's just like really, really cool. Yeah, you do feel the tension in that one, for and for just sure. well, cause just cause he the the part when the car stops at the
1: bottom of the hill and he has to jump out and start again is so stressful. You can it's, it you can feel it. Mm-hmm. This film just hundred percent nailed stress. So I for all my criticisms about. I don't know. I just feel like they're weird criticisms. I feel like you should watch it again. I think I should too. I think it, it's almost sensory overload as a film because you're so immersed. Uh,
0: I feel like, you know, this movie makes me think of Good Time, even mm. though I hadn't seen Good Time when I'd seen this the first time. In, I think in the story pacing. Do you know what I mean? Like Good Time also does that thing where you don't know when the story is going to end or where you are in the story. Mm. Because it's, like, all playing out semi in real time or whatever, or close to real time. And then, yeah, and so, like, the tensions keep rising and the stakes keep rising. And you're like, how long can this go for? Like, it's not following traditional beats and troughs or yeah. whatever. Of They just engage with the rules of film,
1: interestingly. Mm-hmm. I guess in terms of morality as well. You don't know who's doing what. And, uh, like, people just don't act like movie characters in this film. Mm-hmm. And that's... Really enjoyable to watch. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy this little bit of trivia, which is that uh, (laughs) apparently it had to be said. Um, Theo smokes a lot in this film, but apparently in a world where there is no trade and no other countries, he shouldn't be able to smoke because UK can't grow tobacco and they also can't grow coffee, so there shouldn't be any coffee or cigarette. But then by extension, apparently Theo never gets to finish an entire cigarette. Poor guy. Poor guy. So yeah, Alfonso's, well, Cuarón's key intention with this film and he said this in multiple sources is that he wants it to look like a documentary and that's why it's shot in the wide, like single take sort of thing, instead of being cinematic like. He's references Blade Runner but yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting part as well. When he gets kidnapped, that was a production design heavy scene. It, it's quite visually stunning. I remember it stood out to me that they're in this room with all these newspaper clippings around the room and like light coming in. And then I was wondering... And then they even switched the lighting set up mid-shot. Mm. So then she, she hits yeah, the light Yeah, I switch. thought that as
0: well. Now that I've been on set a few times, it's like the lighting of that stressed me out a little bit. Uh uh-huh. Well, because... And especially because they have got the tubes as the,
1: the fake real lighting. tubes obviously don't play well with cameras. Um, But then... You know, someone's pointed out that they would have they wrote fake newspaper articles to cover every single part of the war. So some PA or intern was having the best time making fake news. And also, Clive Owen was apparently offered Blood Diamond in, at the same time. I've Have you seen it? Yeah. Good. Should sure yeah, you pick that? It it's like pretty good. Was he meant to be? I Leo? think it's controversial because it's like kind of racisty. I don't know. It's like a classic drama. It's a very two thousands drama where it's like. They're dealing with... You know how 2000s, like, they started tackling some heavier themes, but they still have, like, a Hollywood sensibility to them? Mm, yeah. And it's like Leonardo DiCaprio running around a South African accent. He's always
0: like, oh. But this is exactly why this film is ahead of its time in the way that it tackles the heavy themes. Like, broad, like it creatively? I think that's how you should do some of this stuff. But that's the thing, yeah. Because, like, you had to sell someone that, like, your message was important to get funding or whatever. Mm. So, therefore, you had to, like, Hollywoodify your big message. And if you do scroll through like the best picture nominees and stuff like that over whatever just over the years there's all these films that are like tackling big things and it's like we're tackling a big thing so therefore this is a big film mm. you know what i mean and this film is like making a film that is set around some big concepts you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah
0: i do and this is why hugely i hugely can... love this about the film that cuz this is
1: the art that we want we talk about this all the time that people don't actually engage with proper issues cuz this this is basically doing what Tenet should have done cuz you know how Tenet like Nails the action but doesn't nail the story by any means. This is a film that actually combines in the middle and this is what that should look like,
0: right? Mm. But it's like you can't make this film that often as well. Like, I think you wouldn't make... You could make this today but also like you've more... There's more similar things out there like I guess with the takes and the stylization, you know what I mean, that would make this not feel as special maybe in my opinion because if a filmmaker's making a film like this every three or so years, it's like quite... It'll be get old quickly. Mm. I think the films that Quaron chooses to make are quite interesting. So I've only seen, I think, from children, uh, from Harry Potter onwards. He has a couple before then, two or three. I think he has three films before that, mm-hmm. which I would be keen to see. Um, so you've got Harry Potter into this, into Gravity, into Roma. Right. Um, what do you think about that, that run? I still haven't seen Roma, admittedly. Um,
1: bad film student. I think... And I still haven't seen Gravity I'm, the, I'm not the Quran expert I'm
0: sorry um, Well it's funny Because like He's always someone That pops to my head In terms of Like Directors I think are amazing Yeah Did we
1: talk about this On the pod Or just in life We were saying Probably in life Yeah Who
0: is Who are our favourite directors yeah, And the thing is like I, I think When I looked at his list of films It's like There's only four of them That I've seen Yeah And I've just realised This is the one That I'm, makes me hold him In like high regard Particularly yeah. Because I haven't seen Harry Potter In a while And like I don't have a extreme connection to that one i think Um, i thought i felt like we do now though and even and so like then you've got that and you've got gravity and gravity i remember liking but also like it's not my number one space film by any means the problem with gravity and this is a
1: contextual comment no it's a contextual (laughs) comment was that it came out in an era where a bunch of space movies
0: came out you had interstellar martian and gravity all fired in for the space film Mm -hmm. yeah um i just remember gravity doing the silence thing a lot which was kind of Stunning or whatever
1: And I've seen the behind the scenes Where like They've got people float They had machines And rigging to make Sandra Bullock What a str- Like crazy casting Sandra Bullock and, and George, George Clooney. Clooney Yeah
0: It's very 90s Rather than 2010s but. Yeah It's interesting Like he seems to be Responding to his past films uh, You know I mean I guess you can make this out For anyone who makes art And does more than one thing Yes So you've got Harry Potter Which is like a big thing Obviously a big success So then he's like Okay I'm going to do this Big action film Being mm-hmm. this film you know, and then from that, this flops and maybe it's like, okay, I need Sandra Bullock and George Clooney <laughs> or something like that. But that was a hit. Everyone loved it. Well, Gravity. Gravity was a huge film. And then you go from that into Roma, which is obviously him stripping it back again, yeah. which you haven't seen, but it's him stripping it back again and telling a personal story. So, I don't know. They're, they're, very, they're four very different films with consistent, you know, cinematic ideas, like not narratively, but film creation wise, constructive, similar ideas, like the long takes is it. A constant sort of thing, but they're very different films, basically, so that's really interesting to me, I think.
1: It is hard not to subscribe to Orchua theory to some extent, because people's work just does end up being similar mm-hmm. and the criticisms of it are that there's a million voices in a film rather than just one, but yeah, ultimately with these with the director discussions it gets interesting because it's like it's not, it's extremely it's, one director doesn't and probably shouldn't make all of your favourite movies because that's like going... That's subscribing too much to a theory where you're like, this person's a genius, but in reality, as a fan, you should be picking your favourite movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, but there
1: are people who weigh in on films often and you're always interested to
0: see what they have to say. Like... The people... The, f- I, I, the f- filmmakers okay. making movies. Yeah, 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 For sure. And I think that, like, a good example of that is, like, the Cohen brothers. Like, they've made a lot of films now and, like... Not every, every now and then that they just need to make a masterpiece and then they're still in that high regard. But it's not like every film that the Coen brothers make is the best film ever necessarily. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's just you want filmmakers that are excited and doing new things, I guess. Or, or maybe not even new things. I, but yeah, I think you actually want them to have their own voice because mm. Wes is the, the classic
1: example just because he's saying similar things, but you're always... Like, there's not... There aren't movies that are like but Wes Anderson. See, but
0: Wes Anderson could never be my favorite filmmaker because, like, they're all Wes Anderson films. Does that make sense? You yes. know what I mean? You'd want someone to at least tackle two vastly different things, mm. like Boogie Nights and There'll Be Blood. It's like, the, you know, there's... Well, yeah, that's a good point. And it's the same with artists. Like, you don't your favorite artists are the people who do new things every now and then, as opposed to making the same album over and over again but consistently making the same album it's like this is why like i like nick cave but it's like nick cave has made very similar stuff consistently of high quality for a while Mm. and it's like well i can't actually tackle all of that because it's all very similar i'll just take one or two and that's it you know yeah
1: i think it actually is an inspiring part of filmmaking the idea that someone's growing and um changing their views and just the idea that their
0: canon exists and it, it affects how their films are being made, mm-hmm. that the last one was influenced in the next one and so on. But that's the good thing is like when you get to look back on... I mean, I'm not super well-versed in film history, but what what's cool about film and with any art, I guess, is where you get to look back as, as it all as one big thing and there's less pressure on each individual element for you to reflect on. So you know many I mean? movies just age better than they do exist when they come out
1: because there's so... Well, as this we is said, an example, Imagine isn't how it? different this film is if it comes out now. It's mm. it's copying on a lot more attention and exactly you're, it's, it would do it be doing that thing. Yeah, I guess it's just a really interesting movie as an exercise today because like not knowing not being into movies that much when this came out, being eight. And <laughs> I
0: remember seeing posters for it in Video oh, really? Easy and like being intimidated by it. Cause oh, really? Well, you know when you're young and you see M A and you're like, <laughs> this is <like> heavy. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's just, I didn't have, not having the context for a movie that is something that kind of nails what you're interested in now is really fun. And it's, it's like, you take
0: none of the baggage of the, the contemporary criticism and it's like... That's what it. you, The discourse is sometimes exhausting around films, you know what I mean? And that's what's good about this pod, you know, is getting to view things from a different lens. Like, yeah. Because, you know, we couldn't help but talk about Minari and like, this is the film we need, you know, like there was all that context for it. Mm. And it's It's, it's, it's different. different. Wow Are we friends again um, <laughs> Yeah And that stuff is good And like if you're living In the time period It's important. obviously good To be aware of like What's shaping The dis- the discourse I guess But it is it is also nice To do things Separate from all of that Yeah Here's a casting motive for you Because I get these two Mixed up in my so brain So your imagination Who <laughs> I know who you're going to say who?
1: Is it Gerard Butler <laughs> No I
0: was going to say Clive Owen Or if Clive Owen Was Colin Farrell <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm in. <laughs> do you like Clive Owen? Yeah. I mean, I don't really know any of his films now that I think about it. I could do a quick letterbox pull, but you know, this is like the only thing I really know him in. Uh-huh. And I think that's why I used to think he was Colin Farrell. <laughs> but I love Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell is aging
1: like a fine wine. He is so good. He is. He's hot. This man is. And I don't mean that. Well, I do mean that. <laughs> but like everything you see Colin
0: I literally just looked up Clive Farrell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Colin Farrell has high clout in this family, but even contemporary discourse, right? Wait,
0: let me look up Clive Owen. God damn, I keep
1: messing. So, when did, when did the Colin Farrell moment happen for you? I've I feel just like seen it was, the Yorgos films. I feel like it was True Detective when it kicked off. Oh, oh, right.
0: okay. That was when... But like, that's a season that no one likes as well. But he was good in it, yeah. you know? So, Clive Owen's in Sin City. Yeah, because he's uh, born identity, inside man, closer. I've heard inside man's good. Yeah, he's so like he's in Elizabeth. He's What's in, his most recent stuff?
1: Because right, he helped write this
0: as well. He came on board and was assisting with that. It's
1: he just he does. You know,
0: it's cool. Like his performance, he does feel very integral to this film at the same time. As much as I think he's Colin Farrell, like, um, and his performance isn't particularly out there. Or yeah, anything he's, like that, he's but doing. He's, he's very solid. He's doing
1: the everyman. But But I guess he's he's a charm in every man. Like, because he's a bit shit, but he's believably shit and believably good. He's not
0: asking you to, like, sympathize with him completely or not. You know what I mean? The last film he was in was called Romantic Guide to Lost Places. He was in Gemini Man with Will Will Smith, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, So, he's kind of dropped off? I mean, I don't know. Apparently, he
1: was super hot coming out of this. So, Cuaron wanted him, but he was... Because he just... Inside Man was
0: big. uh, Okay. Um, I'm trying to find this film in his, disc- in his discography.
1: He seems like, I just would have guessed if you showed me this and you said, is this guy famous or not now? I would have picked that he was really famous because he's a look.
0: Don't you think he looks like someone who would get better with age? Well, this is the thing that I said to you. He has a, uh, such a detailed face. He has so many lines on his face and I'm yeah. not saying that in a negative way. And he's, he's got- a handsome man. He's got that, like, he's got that real man, man. Like he could be in Cold War.
1: He, he looks, he has that sort of charm. Yeah. Um, we just need to shoot him in black and white,
0: man. Wait till you see yeah, the details in his face. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's the sort of guy you want to look like when you're older.
1: You want to look like him now. <laughs> you want to look like no, him because as a kid? you want to have
0: a bit of a baby face as long as you can. Okay, but like okay. when you, you know, you wrinkle up a bit, and all that sort of stuff. You want to look like you've been chiselled from. You know what I mean? You yeah. look like someone, some hardened stuff. Yeah. Um. You were you were a pack-a-day smoker.
1: <laughs> but in a <the> cool way. <laughs> but you never get through a cigarette. Yeah, exactly. So the
0: cast in this, I think, is really good.
1: Yeah, Julianne Moore got some. She's great.
0: Thoughts. I really like her. Do you like her?
1: Yeah, I do. I think she's her PTA a steady stuff present. is good. She's always like the Julianne. Like she's just like an intense, famous actor, sort of. I I can't help but feel like she is a little bit Julianne Moore when I see her. But you know, she gets well, she's called Julianne she in
0: this, good. which is confusing to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have got Michael Caine. Who plays what, do you, a good what do you think? Michael Caine in yeah, this? yeah. Well, this is he's good in this. Definitely, I like him. Yeah. Um. He he. <laughs> we Tom and I were talking about how Michael Caine is just serves exposition nowadays. Ah. Like,
1: uh. Koran uh, had an interview where he was said saying, he didn't like exposition. It, yeah, but you got to the, say it's... I was just teasing Nick and this film when it came on because Michael Caine comes in and starts sprain exposition in, like, casual dialogue way. He's like, how crazy is it that all the roads
0: have shut down and the world's looking pretty shit? <laughs> yeah, but compared to this to, like, you know, Tenet, when he was in there recently, yeah. Um, it's funny, though, because I just Googled, because you are like, mm, Michael Caine's conservative, and I looked up and it's like, Michael Caine voted for Brexit, and I was like, how are you in this film? And then voting for Brexit, like, a yeah, different story. And
1: this is, he has said this, that he um, played this character imitating John Lennon. Which is such old man like vibes, you know? Well, he was in oh, the sixties like, when John Lennon was yeah. around. He was like, "Look at this guy! I, what was what was <laughs> he, he doing me. in the 60s? <laughs> he was carrying his suitcase mm. and he was like eating white from, bread sandwiches. From what
0: I got from his Wikipedia page, he just doesn't like getting taxed, which is pretty much everyone who's so he's, really he's well. rich person conservative rather than racist conservative. Well, I I'm sure they overlap a little bit. Um, but he's like super rich, Michael Caine. Think about doing five decades worth of acting. Yeah. He's loaded
1: It's strange He seems and like such a nice text. guy
0: I'm sure he's a nice guy On a personal level You know And he's still getting gigs So yeah. he must be like And it's not like, like he's cancelled So it's fine Let's, We're overselling Well you this just maybe can't cancel someone For making certain voting decisions You yeah, know what I mean Yeah that's true um, Well at least I don't think we should
1: Yeah And he's friends with Nolan He shows up On schedule for every Yeah day. but
0: Nolan's like The least, most apolitical director Of all time Nolan is What? Like, we've been. We've done it We did like yeah. a long A lot of this In both Nolan pods I can't um, believe Nolan's our most plotted director. Yeah, who else is in this? And then everyone else is really good, I think. I like Luke.
1: He's around a little bit without knowing specifically what he's in. What's he in? I don't know. He's familiar,
0: isn't he? He's in The Martian, Doctor Strange, 12 Years a Slave. Maybe that's it.
1: He's well, the I'd lead in from, 12
0: Years a Slave. I probably know him from The Martian the most. He's like the friendly scientist I haven't seen guy.
1: Martian. I'm not saying Martian changes your life, but it's a good movie.
0: Is I don't what? know. I saw like... It's a film that I'd seen like bits of when you were watching it, I think, and I was like, hmm, that's enough.
1: I like Bill's comments on it. He's just saying that it's an ultimate ode to Matt Damon because it's like one dude just carrying a film yeah. and the film just doesn't work if you don't like Matt Damon. So yeah. it's actually like rarer than you think. Yes, I do have the return of... Um, Academic, Ac- academic uh, yeah, Let's writing. hope it's more concise. There's only one article. There's only one. And okay. this one, so I didn't really get as much time as I would have liked to dive into the academic texts on this film because there there were quite a few about camera work and about immersion and stuff, and I'm sure about the world as well. But this one was like a review, an academic review, and it was <laughs> it's about the last birth formula. So it's criticizing this article written by Anna... Faktorovich, um, is about criticising the idea of a last baby on earth sort of thing and saying how it's contradictory. So she says that the idea of this world doesn't make sense because how is there a refugee crisis if there's no babies because the humanity should be declining in, like there should be more positions, more opportunities and stuff. They shouldn't be overpopulated um, the film logic is obviously just that the whole world is cooked, not just London. So everywhere is come into there, and I think it's believable.
0: You know, yeah. But it's interesting. It's not talking about people aren't mad because they are. the 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 world isn't dystopian because of loss of opportunity or like loss of standard of living necessarily. It's because people don't believe in the future anymore and people being shit it's it's like a moral ethical collapse it's saying like if we don't have a future and hope you know humanity doesn't stand together yeah i think that i really do like the scene at the school as well i like the
1: nurse i like the nurse character i think she's good um marianne miriam i think
0: um when she gets pulled from the bus pretty intense
1: yeah and a good death as well for like the mission you know um but I like her speeches about being a nurse and seeing the uh, miscarriages. You know, believable bit of exp- like world
0: building. I like yeah. it. I just want to also highlight that scene when they're going into the refugee camp is really good and really intense. Going through the lines, yeah, that like mean? that. Yeah, so like when they're on the bus and stuff like that, and then going through the lines, and like he gets separated a little bit from her and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and it's all just very... enough to be really
1: tense. Yeah, um, and I, it's also pretty exciting when they do get into the refugee camp because it's a little bit. Like, oh, what's this whole other world, you know? Um, anyway. So, yes, so this article, I just want to read it, read it out because she has pretty funny, heavy-handed insults of this idea. So she's talking, the article, uh, this, like, key intro part is saying how she doesn't like the idea, and she thinks it's and She goes, uh, something about Earth's salvation, this is not a good thing. Literature, literature is typically used illusions and symbolic characters to convey a moral meaning without dipping too far into Scripture. But what is this reference saying if the mother of humanity's hopes for the future is a barely educated woman who does not know the identity of the father? What is the point of humanity's survival if this new breed of humans is going to be barely literate, morally questionable, and otherwise lacking in grace or ambition? What the fuck? How shit is that?
0: Oh my god. Okay. That's that took up a just very fucking, d- different turn than I was expecting. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I was, was like, saying, cool, maybe the logic is flawed. That's I, fine. I was saying to Nick, do
1: I put this bit in? But it was just so heavy-handed, like, offensive. That's a- fucked up. And, like, let's just ignore the racial, you know, implications of this horrible message. It's just, like, ethically really rude and terrible. And then she ta- goes on in the next bit to talk about how it's like, oh, it's it's promoting, like, a... a what is
0: it? Um, but that's so that that quote is like it's such shit. a bad quote that makes you think like you know she's talking about the religious stuff. She's criticizing the use of religion. Okay, so this things. is obviously put, like some posted in like conservative film studies <laughs> journal <laughs> <What I want. laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, bad take. You know what I mean?
1: If like the whole point of this film is literally the opposite yeah. thing, which is saying that people you can't judge people yeah. because people are people with yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> take.
0: does that even deserve to be an academic writing? in I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like thinly veiled racism. Yeah. writing. in I like the school scene.
1: Um, arriving at the school is a good break in the, the film. And obviously it allows for some good dialogue and um, great cinematography as you, as her, you highlighted. Yeah. Did you notice that yourself or did you hear about it?
0: No, I heard about. it. I mean, I noticed it. Sorry. I noticed it. Mm, I heard about it. Didn't wow. It's like I couldn't notice that she was in the scene as well. It was cool. It was blast. just
1: like, I wonder, I doubt they planned it. I assume it was um, spontaneous on the set. Like, oh, this cracks great. Maybe we can space this out really well. But then even the school thing, it didn't even click to me that, of course, the school's abandoned because there's no kids. That's a powerful metaphor. What about
0: that? the scenes with um, his uncle or cousin? Where he's like rich and got all like the old art and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think he's an important character because as a viewer, you're going, well, I can't. As I said at the start of this, like you can't all be like this. World is shit. There would be people mm, who'd be cashing exactly.
0: But this is what this film does well is that it goes through that stuff quite quickly but effectively. I would say, yeah. You know, mm.
1: and what's with the kid with the eating the tablets and playing his mobile Rubik's cube? I don't know. That
0: just feels like a dystopian sort of vibe to me. You know, what yeah. I yeah. Mean? Or like maybe that. This guy is like a young person, and is everyone's got pl- pressure on them, right? I would say more just like there's some thing wrong with reproduction that ah oh, you know okay. he's got some disability or something like that. Do you okay. know what I mean?
1: I like the stuff. I like the way the film kicks off actually talking about. The youngest person. That's what I was going to talk celebrity. about. That stuff is
0: really funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. And he, I love when he goes in the office and he's like, I'm a bit more shook up from Baby Diego's death <laughs> than I thought. And the guy looks at him like, I don't believe you, but that's so funny. Yeah. Um, what do you think his job is at this office? I don't know. Some, I feel Nothing? Like something makes me feel like he works for government, but I don't think he necessarily works for government. No, I don't know. What's private business like in this world? The coffee shops and stuff, I guess.
1: Yeah. So obviously, there's still wealth and like normalcy, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah
1: And I guess this film Maybe this film is about him emer- Like just him emerging himself back in the um,
0: The real world
1: Yeah, because even the whole uh, subtext Not subtext Submentions that are like About how he used to be political And then he got shaken mm. I think he's a good character like that Because that's supposed to
0: relate it to the audience Because a lot of people lose their edge When they get a bit older Yeah, but it's also about hope In that he, he's lost hope or whatever So it's like he doesn't want to With fight for stuff up anymore. Well, yeah. yeah,
1: that's kind of weird. Scene when they're talking about his child passing away. And Jasper's telling it because they're kind of like jovial when they're talking about it, and he's just around the corner, like, "God, I hate my life," and I don't know. I, don't know.
0: I yeah, but also I think that performance is good for some reason. Yeah, I, I think I, mean, I was thinking about the way it was framed because a it's, it's un- lack of tonal like heavy stuff is creative and but probably more realistic. It's focused on Clive, and also that stuff is like twenty years ago. Or, do you know what I mean in the in the scheme of his life? So it's so like, he shouldn't be like breaking down in tears. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or maybe that Michael Caine feels more comfortable talking about it yeah. semi-casually. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm just saying it's different. And, to I, what and the expect. way that it's shot, where Clive Owen's in focus and everyone else is out of focus, is cool. I, I like, like Key. It. Key's a good character. Yeah, she's good banter, good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we're running out of time.
1: Yeah, that's timer.
0: All right. A lively discussion. Kicked my mic. All right. Tom, what worked for you with this film?
1: Long takes, obviously. Big winner. Um, The third-person perspective, specifically, um, because you have long takes and stuff, but you don't always get the third-person thing. But the use of uh, point of view in this film is really enjoyable. Um, I like how information is revealed to you from one character's perspective the whole time. And it really works. I think it really combines with world-building because it's like... It's using exposition in a fun way. It's like piece together what's happened in this world based on snippets of his day-to-day life. I think that's a really good engaging form of it, right? Um, Clive Owen works. Yeah, I'm sad we don't have more relationship with Clive Owen. Mm, Maybe we'll get into it. Yeah, let's deep dive in Clive. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The action... Oh, we didn't even talk about the camera of how they shot the bike stuff. Um, just quickly, look it up if you on can because yeah. it's really cool. They built a rig where there's like a platform below the car and a platform above the car and that's where um, Quaron and the camera operator and the focus puller sit. And so the camera moves on this robot arm through the car and um, Julianne Moore and Luke in the front seat. they get, up and down. Yeah, thrown out of their seats just so they can reach the back seat. Um, And the whole like ping pong ball bit's good. Mm. It's a a good bit because it's creative. Like when they swing for personality, it's always good. Mm. Uh, Yes, so camera work. um, Yeah, performances are good. I think everyone's good. And I think it's a well cast film as well. And production design and world built in is a big winner.
0: Okay, what didn't work?
1: What didn't work is... What would you change? What would I change? Stuff just does... Like maybe I'd make it a little more political, as I've said, in terms of... Like a little bit more explanation. I, I I think the the fishers seemed a little bit too motivated, without really explaining their motivation to us. I know why we broadly know that we broadly know why they do the things they do. But it's
0: interesting because you like are considering them as villains, which is like the movie doesn't read to me as like them running away from villains. You know what I mean? If you don't view them as people who are like necessarily antagonists of the film. Then I don't think you feel all that way about their characters, because that's sort of my thing, though.
1: Like, because I just would have liked to hear a little more level-headedness where we knew why they wanted it, and I know why they want it, but it's also like they, the film does a deliberate job of making them seem like bad guys, because they're still an antagonist. They're still interrupting our hero's journey, right? So they're they're like. Kind of a, a syndrome character in Incredibles, where it's like comes from a, a a goodish place, but then they kind of get pushed to being bad. And I just sort of liked a little more uh, ration behind why they're bombing places. But I know that, and I also do like the world building where they're like, we're not bombing those places; it's the government. But then, because you never meet a government individual who's bad, I don't know maybe it's just like uh, caveman brain, Tom going like. You're not following convention. I don't understand what's going on here. Um, yeah, I want to watch it again, of course. But yeah, there's just a few like uh, things, and I didn't, I didn't love that they ran into them there. I would I'm fine with them running into them, but it just seemed a little bit too crazy that they just meet them on the streets in this refugee camp and stuff. But are they not there because they're trying to get the baby back? Because they know they're going to be there. But they don't even intercept them at like. doorway or something they intercept them literally in the middle of the street it just confused me a little bit sid sid's heel turn not a huge fan sid's
0: been a heel the whole time but he isn't he's also a nice bloke he helps someone. i don't see that they get out of the truck i think he's a self-serving person i think that's consistent
1: okay okay um yeah it's just a bit of uncertainty on motivations and explanations and stuff like that all right what would you rate it what do you rate it it's, it's a strong four. Strong four. Okay, I can look at that. That's fine. It's like you can't underlook, you can't undermine the fact that this is an iconic film because the camera works so dynamic and so unique. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I can't say Tenants are four and then not say this is a four because they're both nailing yeah, the action sequences in different ways. You know, I love the context of this film. Isn't this the film that we thought we would get in with Soylent Green? <laughs> when you I think mean, about so it a long, bit yeah. more. Um, it's like nailing contemporary concerns and stuff. Yeah, I just... I need a little more time with it. I would, like to, I would like to watch it again. But there's just a few things that are a little bit either heavy-handed or underexplored for me. But yeah, you can't undermine the masterclass in uniqueness. You know, this is like a film that is distinct.
0: Nice. Um, this is a five-star film for me. I love it. Perfect film. I think it's amazing.
1: Wouldn't change a thing.
0: No. I'd I, like... I felt that way when I watched it the first time. Like, this is a film that makes you go like, wow, what, look at what film is capable of. And it just is, like we've been saying, it's so ahead of its time, I think. I, I don't know. I probably already talked about what I like about it already. But it's just like, yeah, obviously the camera stuff is amazing. I think the performances are great. The content what it's written about and the way it tackles that stuff, I think is great as well. It doesn't bite off more than it can chew. I just think it's, it's amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's so good. I would just watch it again and again and again. It's just such a thing. It's such like a, a, a neat, digestible thing that kills it, in my opinion, you know? guess that's a, that's a wrap. Schneider Cut is coming next week. We were meant to do it this week, but we were, we're a bit chockers because Love Cut is this weekend. Love
1: Cut is filming this weekend. Huge. Tom's going quiron this weekend. Yeah. I'm saying, I don't know. I said to my DP, I said, I'll shoot it in green screen. And she said, no, no. That it. makes no
0: sense. <laughs> <laughs> Why? We're shooting in a share house.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I am excited. I'm feeling hyped. And the memories you make on set are like genuinely some of the memory, the best memories you have. Don't you reckon? Yeah, so I'm excited. Nick's making an appearance on set. do something. And as an extra in the film, perhaps. Definitely. But you know, mm-hmm. look out for him when you watch Love Cut viewers.
0: Look out for the soundtrack. It's going to be slapping. Mm-hmm. How exciting. Once I get kicked off, so we'll see.
1: Yeah creative differences <laughs> awesome cool uh, follow us on Instagram little silky official and
0: at I'm good brother yes this is, I'm subscribe just
1: to us on YouTube
0: search ego Our podcast what well, number f- this is like my third five done a few fives already I'm giving them around well like no it's it was portrait um, David Byrne <laughs> <laughs> um, and this Chili's was a five right I don't I can't remember yeah it was I, a nostalgic I think we five. It five yeah how many fives have you given any oh you gave in the move for love a five you've done one yes yes because I bit asked for a bit more conservative a bit more Michael Caine on the other side of the table here. yeah
1: you know what's not conservative my three and a halves <laughs> my three and a halves give them out like that take them. them take them
0: <laughs> I've got too many
1: it's just hard we need to do well we don't need to do no one wants to hear you talk about bad movies basically but yeah. it would be well served if I cop gave out a few twos but the, the whole thing is you're not drawn to films that are twos and one and a halves because they're boring yeah. and there's a lot of good movies exactly. to watch in this world yeah. so why would you waste your time Yeah,
0: so I are only likely to maybe f- stumble across a message that we like disagree with or like a sentiment in a film and then it'll be a bad rating for that And we just think it's like ugly Or something like that You know yeah. Maybe, you know, even, if, we, if, we maybe if
1: Anna Faktorovich Has made a film That's well written With like great dialogue And great cinematography Yeah And then she comes through With that bullshit Yeah With that weak shit Okay Looking um, forward to the, the Twitter mentions From her from We'll see what happens Alright um, This has been another classic Another classic Or a fresh one Tell us what's in Tell us who's done Another antique shipwreck